You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. Xu Ying Chung is a filmmaker based in New York. Her short film, Removable, has been making the rounds at film festivals, and it's won several awards for Best Story, Best Short, Best Actress, and Best Director, to name a few. I spoke with Xu Ying about what motivated her to write, direct, and produce the film, and how she can identify with the subject matter of the film due to her own past immigration status issues. She also talked about some of the highlights of her career in film and offered some advice for those interested in filmmaking. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NADOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NADOA was founded in 1988 and its mission is 1. To evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity. 2. To oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality. Three, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs. Four, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan. Five, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all. To learn more about NADOA, visit their website www.natwa.com. Without further ado, here's our interview. Welcome to the podcast, Xu Ying. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so such a pleasure to have you on. I'm really excited to talk to you because I know that you've been doing the festival circuit about your short film, Removable, and it's been getting a lot of accolades. But before we go into all that, I'd like to talk a little bit about your background so that my audience can get to know you. You grew up in Taiwan, right? Can you talk about what it was like for you growing up and where you grew up in Taiwan? Yeah, I was born and grew up in Taipei City. So, um, I don't know, it's pretty typical, I guess. Um, both my parents were working. My dad runs his own business and my mom used to be a civil servant. So they were both working full time, um, pretty busy. So they sent me and my older brother to a private school, which had uh, you know, stricter rules and longer school hours. And they also tried to send us to like various different after school classes or activities so just to keep us busy and also i think that's the way they try to give us opportunity to you know experience different different you know to explore different interests yeah but i remember my older brother and i were home alone a lot which i think was pretty normal at the time right <laughs> when and how did you know that you wanted to become a filmmaker and how did your parents react to that because not to be stereotypical, <laughs> but many parents have certain expectations of their children. And if they're more traditional or conservative, this is not really a traditional career path, right? Yeah. Um, I feel that wasn't a surprise to my parents, I guess. I mean, it's, it's a because since I was a kid, I, you know, I, I'm, I was I have been interested in writing and music. And so I feel like that's like a, expected direction I'm going for them so when I told them they weren't they weren't I mean I didn't really specific tell them I want to be a filmmaker but um, when I told them I wanted to uh, study radio and TV 
um, in college for a college program, they didn't really, you know, have much of a reaction. But my dad used to joke about how I, how I would become a hungry artist, you know, living off the street and stuff like that. And, you know, it's funny thing is when I apply for college, I was really focusing on preparing for a radio and TV program, but my dad was writing the entire business program application on my behalf and submit it as my backup plan. <laughs> but that's just his way to, you know, as a parent to, to express his concern, but not directly interfere in my, my decision. They never really express it saying, no, this is a bad idea. They can cause they kind of support me, you know, throughout my childhood, like learning, music and doing all the stuff so they they weren't they weren't trying to tell me which way to go or not to go but like as a parent they always worry so for my dad that's his way to be like you know this is your backup plan <laughs> <laughs> okay that's great that's how he shows his uh, love for you or that he cares about you i guess <laughs> you're also into music yeah i mean i learned piano since I was a kid and um I yeah I played for the school choir and and uh in middle school and high school I was pretty into songwriting for a little bit (laughs) I joined like pop music club so actually I was I thought I would be a songwriter when I was in high school (laughs) oh how fun so then how did that trans turn out to be filmmaking like how did that go into like go from songwriting to filmmaking Um, So I went to um, radio and TV program in college and um, started to uh, involve in a lot of video production. And I just slowly feel like, well, that's such a um, high sense of achievement, you know, by you get to write, you get to produce music for your film, you know, you shoot, you edit, and you get to have all aspects of art combined together into one piece so that's something started really draw me into yeah that's pretty powerful to put all those skills together Mm. yeah and so that was in taiwan that you were in the radio and tv program right yeah i finished my undergraduate in taiwan okay so then what is it that brought you to new york and what was it like initially when you arrived um so after I finished my thesis film for undergrad, I felt like I wanted to I wanted to learn more and I wanted to see why the American entertainment industry is so strong, you know. So I just, you know, choose to come to New York to see how it, how it is. I I didn't really have a specific goal. I just kind of want to, you know, come here and see what I can get into and yeah. Oh, okay. That's great. And so how long have you been in New York now? Uh, it's a little bit over 10 years. Oh, actually. okay. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in New York or you're a seasoned New Yorker now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the first time I set my foot in the, in any English speaking country was to come here for my, um, grad school interview. That was the very okay. first time I been to any English speaking country and my mm-hmm. English was probably sucked because I didn't get into any any school that required interview (laughs) yeah I know I think that this is a challenge for um, people who are educated in Taiwan because a lot of them actually have very good English like they 
a very good English comprehension, but I think what's lacking is the actual practical aspect. Yeah, right? the, the dialogue, speaking. the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't get to speak it on a daily basis. Really, just practice in class, and that's very different. So you went into a graduate program. Yeah, a graduate degree um, again, also in uh, related to film. Actually, I went to NYU Music Business Program. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, because I didn't get I didn't get into all those top film schools, so oh, okay. I was like, you know, if it's not top film school, maybe it's not worth it. And it's really yeah. expensive too. Like yeah. if you just go to any film school, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. So I thought, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm in, into entertainment industry generally, so I, I just start from music business program that I could get in. And then I started to take on a lot of internship and with different individual um, independent filmmakers or media production companies. So I can Mm -hmm. start to learn. Right. Well, that makes sense because it seems that there would be a lot of things you could learn from a music business program that you could apply to filmmaking or other entertainment industries. Right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the music industry is really tough. It's changed a lot. So anyway, let's talk about your short film, Removable, because it's currently been making the rounds in several film festivals, and I had a chance to look at it, and I was really, um, what's the word for it? I was really, it really grabbed my attention from the very beginning, even though, how long is it? It's not even 20 minutes long, right? No, it's 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it really kind of immerses you right away into the subject and it makes you very curious about the story and then it unfolds. So um, I really enjoyed it. I'm curious, oh, like, what is it? Yes. What is it that inspired you to write and produce the film? It does involve some discussion about ice and ice detention and that sort of thing. So I'm curious to know, like, we heard a lot of talk and a lot of ICE came up a lot during the Trump administration. I'm wondering if that inspired the film at all. I mean, I I felt that this is not something all of a sudden start after Trump came up. It's always been there, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so it's it's always an issue. And and generally, just me, myself, being an immigrant here now, um, I feel like there's not a lot of talk about how immigration status affects immigrants life it, it no matter doesn't matter you're illegal or not even you're illegal is still that's a huge hurdle you have to overcome so um that's something that i feel very strongly and i also had the experience that i have to leave the u.s for a while because some visa issues so i was basically forced to leave i had to leave my um, my job my apartment at the time so um I very much related to that side of the story. And also as a woman, I, I mean, do, do, do we want to talk about what a film's about? It's also about a couple, right? So that from, for the wife's side, as a woman, as a spouse, I very much related to her situation in the story too. So um, this is a story that very, very much, you know, has a personal meaning for me. Well, basically removable, the term removable is the euphemistic term um, that the U.S. government used to flag people, uh, to describe people who are flagged for deportation. So um, our short film is telling a story about this immigrant woman struggling with guilt after calling the police on her abusive husband. 
um, which result in his removal from the U.S. I'm not afraid to give out the plot, but you still need to watch the film to understand um, there are um, struggles like this that people went through every day. And this is actually not something like one... This actually happened more often than we thought. Actually, one of our actresses told us during audition that her cousin had the same exact experience, called the police on on, on the partner, and the cop, the partner just got deported. So, um, you know, and also the, the film revealed what I was mentioning earlier, like uh, immigration status really make it hard for people who are, who are, here, no matter you are uh, you are legal or illegal. So I don't know if you're comfortable if you want to talk a little bit about your visa issue because I think it might mm-hmm. be important for other people to know. Because I certainly know for myself, I take a lot of things for granted because I was born in the U.S., so I have a citizenship and things like that. And I've heard mm-hmm. stories from my friends who um, are trying to get their citizenship and had something go wrong and because there's a certain procedure and weren't able to get their citizenship or was delayed or something like could, yeah. do you want to share a little bit about what yeah, happened sure mine's really simple it's just um i i'm tra- supposed to transfer in, into a work work visa but everybody knows work visa is not just it's not just you need a company sponsoring you also you need some luck because it's a lottery and I just simply not lucky enough. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I thought okay. I would, you know, you know, I had a company sponsor, so I should just get it. But no, you know, oh, I, I, I just had know. to leave like right away. And yeah, so that that's why I had to leave. But at the same time, my company was at the time was willing to sponsor my green cars. But then mm-hmm. there it, it took a long time for that to happen so i had to leave i didn't have the status to stay to wait for that long so i i left for like at least one and more than one and a half a year i think oh my goodness and yeah. was that how did you deal with that well um i just had to you know quickly pack and everything and at the time my husband uh, at the time we we were just started dating for four months and i was like you know what? I had to go back to Taiwan. Oh, wow. I know when I'm gonna come back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So um, that's that. But um, I would say going back to Taiwan uh, on the that's the the other side of the story. But like going back to Taiwan was actually a blast in disguise. I would say I I stayed there for one and a half a year and actually spent time work working there full time. Um, and you know, reconnect with my friends from college who, who are now in the industry, so they could you know, uh, hook hooking up with different uh, video production gigs. So I get to work on different projects there, and I also got to uh, work full time for a creative studio in Taiwan as a video editor and director. And that's actually the only chance that so far I had a company hire me as a director because it's very hard to get to hire get hired to be a director in New York, especially it's so competitive <laughs> and you're an immigrant, you speak English weirdly, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. So, so, but I get to, you know, have a lot of good experience in Taiwan because with the experience I have from New York is a huge plus when I go back. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So well, that's, I yeah. add, yeah. So it's a, 
it's, it's not all bad, but at the same time, it's a huge disruption of, of life. Yeah, absolutely. Going back to your film, Removable, I'm wondering what was involved when producing the film because as you mentioned there's a lot involved and especially if it's an independent film i imagine there's the research the planning the funding you know finding the actors um maybe this is kind of a big question (laughs) but i guess the way maybe you could answer it for yourself like what was your involvement what part what parts of the film were you involved with like did you actually do the research and the writing of the script and what was your involvement yeah so um i wrote the script with my husband who's also my producer on this film mm-hmm. um he like he did a lot of research and he will share the share the material with me and and because he read he read a lot of news so he'll okay. you know for for a long time he'll you know uh send me articles and stuff. So we started to collect all these materials and we look for books to read and we just feel like this is a field that we want to um, get into. So we read a lot of um, books and articles about people's real experience being deported. So um, after that, we collect enough material and started to write the script. We actually spent, I don't know, my husband said what's two years, but probably like, oversaturated but but we spent months to a year at least uh, writing Mm -hmm. a feature script um you know we will go to because we both have full-time jobs we'll go to a cafe after work and just sit there and write until the shop closed uh, for a, a good while and then we have a feature script so um with that feature script, we were like, you know, we're not experienced filmmakers. Nobody's going to just throw money at us. So um, we plan to just uh, extract some part of the, the the script to make into a short so that we have something to show. Especially for me, I don't have an extensive portfolio to show people I can direct. So that would be something, a, a good, good sample for me to show people what we can do. So... Um, probably around like end of 2020, we, cause we used to travel during holiday season, but you know, during COVID we were like, you know, since we could not travel, why don't we utilize this time? We have, you know, two weeks off from work. We should just go ahead and make this happen. So we decided to make the short film in around probably end of October, 2020, and we spent like Thanksgiving to put together a short script to carve the script from our feature film, uh, feature script. So we basically had like a four weeks of window to put everything together for, for pre-production, like from fine, wow. you know, casting the casting the actors and finding mm-hmm. locations and um, you know put together the crew and you know shot lists storyboard <laughs> everything wow. oh my yeah, goodness so that was a very stressful month but yeah kind, kind of just feel like you know if we just keep keep putting it off we would never do it right so set a deadline for us and go mm-hmm. for it so mm-hmm. so yeah we really you know went all out for that four months it was so uh, for that four weeks it was so stressful um to put together a five days shoot mm. 
Oh my goodness! Wow. And so a feature script um, is a script for a full length film, like meaning something that's like one to two hours long. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's pretty incredible that you did all that. It is the first film that you've written and directed and produced. Yeah, you can say that. I mean, I did some student film before, but this is one of the first one that's like really being properly shot. Mm-hmm. with uh, mm-hmm. professional crews yeah mm-hmm. wow so were you able to finish it in the four to six weeks oh yes i mean we that was incredibly stressful yeah. i lost like 10 pounds over oh, that month wow. Wow. <laughs> it's real, yes but but we i was really lucky like uh i find a really good dp and who's very mm-hmm. experienced i mm-hmm. i met him in other student film years ago um but he's been very successful and very experienced. So I, I first secure him and he was be able to, you know, kind of guide me and help me to how to, you know, design the shots and help us to find proper location and, and things like that. And also just like my experience before as commercial director, I, I mm-hmm. could, you know, put together a lot of reference and find locations and put the set dressing materials together and all that. We really like spend most of the money on equipments and crew members and me and my husband are basically doing the rest of the job like this, you know, production design and, you know, costume design and all that. Just make sure that we have a good camera crew to shoot good footage. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine all of the expenses involved uh, with all the people involved as well, for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we fund it ourselves. <laughs> it's, it's our savings. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, so, that's yeah. even yeah, that's even more stressful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was I was wondering about that because yeah, you have to do it yourselves these days. Like, how else would something like this get produced, right? Unless you had some funding or crowdfunding or something. But then that also takes time to raise money. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any? Since you did actually write a feature script, do you have any plans to expand the film? Like, either make it like into a full length or do a sequel or do other yeah. things with it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, especially, I feel this story is. The Im- immigrant story uh, is a universal yeah. problem, right? It doesn't necessarily have to set in America. The, we are very open opportun- to opportunity to shoot in other countries too. We will be happy to, you know, if we shoot in Asia, like in Singapore, where they also have very strict immigration rules. So, um, yeah, so we, we definitely would like to make a feature but not necessarily a specific story but you know it just depends on what kind of um resources like money wise we can put together and and you know yeah. so i'm actually wondering i am not in the film industry but i'm wondering how it works so your film goes into these festivals and up for awards and different things and you get a lot of visibility for it, but does, does that somehow help in the case of your of funding? Because this is a really big hurdle, as you mentioned, you self-funded it, and if you want to make another film or something longer, 
you know, maybe again, like you said, not necessarily this specific story, but something related, another immigrant related story. Does that help? Do you think that would help you to get some funding? Like, how does this, what is the benefit actually is the bigger question of mm-hmm. being in these film festivals? Yeah, it's just, it helped. Uh, to what level, I don't know, but it's definitely better to have it than not. At least you have something to show. This is uh, um, this is the kind of work that people recognize and people support. And and especially we, our actress has been winning act, actress Best Actress Award. So if we continue to shoot a feature with her, that's a proof that see we have award-winning actress and she's definitely going to be able to, um, you know, either take this feature film into other festivals or, or so on. So it's definitely helpful, but uh, it's not guarantee, of course. Yeah, but it's just something to at least show people um, we are we are professional. We get we can get to these levels. And um, but on top of that, of course, there are a lot of other um, aspects that investors or distributors would consider. But that's something we can control so far. But like whatever we can do, we try to do it most we can. What has your career path been like in the film industry up to this point? Um, so I've been. mostly um, working as a video editor. So my first job was um, for a production company called Artistan. That was my first um, full-time video editing job, first full-time job. So actually starting from there, um, most of my, most of my career evolved around video editing and a little bit directing. Um, So yeah, so, um, mostly with production company or a creative studio or um, currently working for Hearst, Hearst magazines. And um, actually my life got a little bit crazier recently just because I took over a new position as post-production supervisor. So I now not just the editor, I'm like managing other editor too. So um, yeah, this is just my, my career path has been evolve around post-production majority. I see. And is it a very male-dominated industry? Um, for post-production, maybe not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that because you know it's funny because uh, when I was in radio and TV program in Taiwan, mm-hmm. we have more girls than boys in class. Oh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, a lot more. So it's yeah, it's very interesting. But I, in general, I feel like maybe video video production or filmmaking industry uh, is a little bit tougher for women in general, just because you know you know if you become if you get married, become a mom, you have kids. Because yeah. I definitely see my my friends in Taiwan that you know director who had kids, they have to balance between, you know, how much time you spend on making your film and with your kids, right? And there there were a couple of times that I had 
directors working with me who had to bring their kids over in the editing session just because, you know, they can't arrange a nanny or something. So so for women, it's definitely a little bit harder just for current society. But I feel like for me, um, I don't necessarily feel like me being a female had any particular impact on my career path, I would say like me being a foreigner or an immigrant has bigger impact. Yeah. And why is that? Is there some um, barrier or perception that works against you because you're an immigrant? I think first is, um, especially at the beginning of my career, like I still needed visa sponsorship and a lot of, um, business owner or bosses actually took advantage of that. I'm sure a lot of immigrants had the same experience that um, they got sponsored and, but, but they got paid less because, you know, the company wants some trade-off, you know, wants some, you know, saying this is exchanging favor or stuff like that. I'm sure a lot of people went through that. So um, yeah, that's, that's definitely one of the biggest hurdle for, for me which is needing a visa application uh, sponsorship and, and the boss will hold it, you know, against you. And the other thing is probably the language barrier too. Like, uh, you know, um, my English is like, okay, but um, comparing to, comparing to all other Americans around me, I'm, I'm probably doesn't talk as professionally as, as, they are, I didn't use the, you know, words as fancy as they do. So I don't know, but that, that definitely also affects a little bit. And especially when you speak in a second language, you don't, um, a lot of time you kind of give up on arguing. I'm sure a lot of people had the same experience that they really want to say something, but you know, it's so hard for us to articulate it. We're just like, ah, oh, okay, just let it go. So, um, Language is definitely another another difficulty to overcome for foreigners here. And now for a short break. Hello, listeners. We're going to be experimenting with some shorter form content, under 20 minutes long. And we'd like to hear from you. Would you like to listen to shorter episodes? What would you like to hear more of or less of? Email us at podcast at talkingtaiwan.com. We also have a special announcement for all of our donors, past, present, and future. We're giving all of our donors exclusive first listening access to upcoming interviews with Karen Lin, Democratic candidate for Justice of the Civil Court in Queens, New York. Chin Chi Yang, a multidisciplinary artist who was recently inducted into the New York Foundation for the Arts Hall of Fame. Michelle Kuo, an attorney, activist, and author of Reading with Patrick, which is a runner-up for the Dayton Literary Peace Prize and the Goddard Riverside Stefan Russo Book Prize for Social Justice. Ed Lin, author of Death Doesn't Forget, and Joe Henley, author of Migrante. If you want exclusive access to these episodes and more, support Talking Taiwan by making a contribution to our GoFundMe campaign. 
We are so grateful for our growing listenership and all the support that we've been receiving. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, those are very um, real issues. It's very interesting because I'm getting ready to interview someone who works for migrant worker rights in Taiwan because this issue has gotten a lot mm. more visibility recently. And yeah. it's just another form of that. People that are, yeah, they're bound by, bound by their employers for one reason or another because the employer is sponsoring them. So it's a challenge in a way, as you said, people can take advantage of their leverage over you. So you do a lot of your professional work in post-production and you've also now directed this film. And so is it your preference to move in this direction to do more directing or do more of your independent projects? And what do you think it takes to be... Okay, actually, let me not go into that. Let's ask, answer this question first. <laughs> Sorry, don't want to uh-huh. give you too much. I'm just thinking all these things. So, um, yeah, is it is that your intention, or if you could, is that the direction that you want to go into to work on your own independent projects? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that that's totally a different feeling. Um, making your own work. And create your own story. That's that's something like nothing else can replace. So I would like to continue doing that. And I feel like because I have a um a steady job <laughs> to to support me doing that, though it takes a bunch of my time away. But um, I would definitely want to continue uh, work on my own project, and hopefully. Uh, as someday that I can, you know, let go of my full-time job and just focus, you know, somebody can just pay me to make a film, one one film or two a year, then I can live off that. That would be the dream. But before that, I'll continue making shorts. <laughs> sure, sure. What do you think it takes to be a good director now that you've uh, had more experience doing that? Yeah, um, I think... A director needs a good vision. Like you, you need to know what you want. You need to have a clear vision, especially when you're uh, come to. This is a collaborative uh, process um, on set. So when you uh, communicate with your DP, your camera crew, your you know, um, your production designer, you need to know exactly what you want, especially in independent um, filmmaking situation like you don't have a lot of time so and other people don't have a lot of time so you need to know what exactly you need and and you don't have a a lot of time to think on set especially so you need to be able to make a decision very quickly and confidently and also i feel like being a director needs to have sympathy because you're working with people and also you're working with actors actors who are um pouring out their heart to, you know, basically expose themselves and and to connect themselves with the character, with the story that has, you know, very uh, vulnerable aspects. And you need to understand that and, and be able to help them. Um, even though a lot of time on set, the shoe's very stressful, you got to just go, 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 but then you need to at least be able to communicate with your actors in advance or some or or 
whenever to be able to help them to get into the position they need to be. So yeah, this is very hard. I'm still learning. Those are really um, concrete things to say.、Um, I can see that this comes from real experience, your firsthand experience working on your own films. How would you describe your approach to filmmaking? Ah,、uh, well, like I feel like my first, my first film, this film, because we were like rushed through the pre-production. I don't even know if I have an approach, but like、uh, I usually would like ideally, and I did do that actually. Um, I I I would definitely do script analysis first. That's Definitely the first step, and not just to see what you know, the the objects, the visual things, what we need, but also a huge part of that is to understand your characters in the stories, to understand all the mo- motivations behind behind the characters,、um, every line and behind every reaction. And action. So for me, it's very important to understand the characters' motivation behind every lines they they say and every action and reaction. So in that way, I know the intention of every scenes, and I I know how to design the shots and the production design, how the set should look like, what the mood is, and also how I can. Um, communicate with the actors because usually actor, the actors I work with, they they are all very good at doing their homework and they will have a lot of questions. You are you you have to be able to answer all the questions and be able to discuss with them and make them understand what you're trying to do. That's one thing that I'll spend a lot of time and make sure I I I get that. And the other part is just I'm a visual very visual person, so I'll have a lot of like reference put together. I have like. Um, Pinterest board and you know folders, organize all different reference pictures to、um, you know for for location, for the set design, for for the costume, for you know for the framing, everything. And also, I feel like that's the most efficient way to communicate. You, just, you know, show people what you want, and you know, it's it's faster. I'm sure that some people who are thinking about or amateur filmmakers can actually learn a lot of from what you're saying in this interview. Well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, can we talk about some of the work that's、um, shown on your website? Because when you go to your、yeah. website, it's quite impressive. You have a lot of、uh, video clips of all the different projects that you've worked on. Yeah. And、um, so, what were some of the most memorable projects that you've worked on? Um.、Uh, wow. I feel like every project's different, and I learn. Different things every time. So,、um, but if you want to say memorable, it's probably the process of making it. There are a few projects on my website that are、um, you can see. I met. I'm. I was、um, assistant director and also director for a few different projects for ASUS and BenQ. And that that was the, that was when I was working in Taiwan with this creative studio, and I remember there were three projects that we scheduled to shoot back to back over a week. We had to shoot three projects, and I was the assistant director for the first two projects, and 
the director for the third project. So we basically have very packed schedule. And the first project, we travel half of the Taiwan. Every day we move to different locations. We went to beach, we went up to a mountain, and we had kids actors with us too. So it's it's a it's a huge take on for for a small crew like us. But but every day really we. I probably only slept like three, four hours every day. Like we were like, got up early and started to shoot until late night. And, you know, so it, it's very memorable because it's so tiring. And, you know, the crew in Taiwan, like the crew people, the crew has uh, shifts. So like eight or 10 hours, they can change a shift as new people come in. But director, assistant director, and, you know, us we don't have people to you know change shift with us so we had to you know hold there to finish what we plan to do until you know so we can rest so that's very tiring and and also there we went to i had to handle like the the kids actors and they're just like running around especially on the beach you know how hard to run on a beach oh yeah like to chase after them on the beach, I was like, I, I don't know how they can run so fast. I just, I, I can't get them back. I'm sorry, director. <laughs> oh, my goodness. These are the things that people don't realize, right? That's really intense, yeah. like working and almost like three hours of sleep. That sounds like a doctor, like the doctor's on call nonstop, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really tiring. And I feel like at the end of the second, the second project, we went back to Taipei. And I feel like mm-hmm. at the end of that shoot, I... I, I can feel like some people probably have the same feeling. If you pull all nighter for several days, yeah. you feel like you feel like your heart is like working so hard. Like oh your heart's goodness. trying very hard to 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 do its work, and you can you can feel kind of hurt. It was in my I was in my twenties at the time, so I just went to like a Seven Eleven and bought some um, vitamin B. And check it down, and I feel I feel great after that. It actually worked. <laughs> oh my goodness! But yeah, that's not sustainable. You have to really be careful about that. Thank you for sharing that. That's intense. Yeah, that's really intense. It was. So I think you answered all my questions in one because I was I wanted to ask you what was the most challenging project and then <laughs> what was your favorite project. Maybe we could talk about something a little lighter, like what was your most favorite or something that you're really proud of, like how it turned out. Well, there's actually well, it's not great work, but that was um, I took a summer program, filmmaking program at NYU when I was studying, and um, we got to I think that we were probably one of the last few students that get to use film camera, like 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter film. So that was so cool for me because I never touched any film camera before. And you know, you learn how to load the film. And I used a 35 millimeter shot, a short film. In college, we it was already digital. We never touched any film before. And with digital, you just, you just shoot gazillion takes as many as you want right but with film you just need to learn how to be to be precise to learn how how to get the things you want within very limited resources otherwise you just have to send people out to keep buying new rolls of films and you know bleeding (laughs) bleeding money away so that's a very cool experience for me and it turned out 
it turned out great, I guess. Like, I mean, I didn't have a full crew. I, I, do, I did a lighting myself. I, I operated a camera myself and just had some classmate help out on set. But I, it turned out great. And just in terms of, you know, how the exposure and everything, I just felt, I felt great about it. And, and that was my only experience with film. I, I wish, I, I mean, I wish I could, do more with film in the future but i don't know it's really expensive (laughs) why is it that you would want to work with film then i mean i think that it's a from what you describe it sounds like a very good exercise in learning to be more efficient and effective Mm -hmm. but so why would you want to is it that you would want to do work in film versus digital well not necessarily but like uh, i think film just give it film has that kind of texture which Nowadays, people try to Im- mimic it in digital, right? Like yeah. People always put on a mm-hmm. film grain on top of mm-hmm. everything. But that's just never be able to be exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the texture you got from a real film is just, it's just different. And it's not necessarily I want to continue my career with film, but sure. just like if I could get you know, I, if I get to do it again, I will be happy to do it. Yeah, yeah, it's very interesting. It's kind of like what musicians say about the record versus a CD or the, mm. the digital music. There's a different warmth to the sound or dimension for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I also saw that you worked on something called the Artist Den Live Documentary Series, and there was quite a few notable musicians in there. Right, Did you, right. <laughs> Did you get to personally film or meet any of these musicians? Because, like, there's, like, for example, like, one musician that stands out was, like, Ed Sheeran was one of the musicians that was featured, right? Yes. That, he was the uh, the first concert I went to after I joined a company. His his show was my first show with the company. Um, yeah, so the company filmed, you know, with emerging artists. At the time, he wasn't huge yet. It was, like, right before he became huge successful. So we, we shot him in a small small church, actually. It was, I think it was on Upper East Side or West Side. It's like a small church, very historic place. And it's just him with his instruments. And I was totally blown away. That was, first, that was my first time seeing him perform live. So it, it was really cool that I get to, you know, um, see musicians in very intimate setting, which is the feature of this show that they film musicians in a unique setting, intimate setting. And usually the location has historic um, uh, meaning behind it. So um, it's very cool. And I mostly do editing work for the company, but whenever there's a concert happen in in New York, I I would go and and help as a camera operator too. So yeah, I I seen Ed Sheeran. I I was the I was the standing for Lily Lily Allen. Oh wow! <laughs> and then yeah, for for like five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I saw uh, Cheryl Crow. I saw Vampire uh, Vampire Weekend. And yeah, oh. Damian Rice. So those are <laughs> those happen in New York. So I get to go. It was really yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's great to have those experiences. Did in any of those cases did you get to speak to them or interact with any of them? And any no. did you have any? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. Also, I try to, you know, whenever I I get to work with celebrities, I try to be professional. I don't want to. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. No, this is not time to fan out. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So how often do you get to visit Taiwan these days and what do you miss about it since you're based in New York, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I try to go back once a year, but I, because of COVID, I haven't been back for almost three years, I think. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope I can go back maybe end of this year. We'll see. But my parents were being like, you know, it's okay. Don't come, don't come back. <laughs> they want to be careful. They're like, you know, just yeah. stay where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, yeah, I miss my friends. I miss I miss yeah. the food. Yes, yes, I know. I have several friends who I see visiting there, and I'm so envious. What are your favorite types of uh, projects or subject matter when it comes to film? Um, let me think. You know, I'm interested in complicated stories that are challenging, and. And outside of the norm of Asian American films that we see nowadays, um, I wanted to make film. I want to make films about Asians in America that aren't simply uplifting, and I don't want to just show them as victim either, you know. But reflects the complexity of real life, where you know people have both good and bad qualities. You know, people create problems for others and create problems for themselves. You know. That that's the kind of stories that I would like to tell. What are some of your favorite films in the space? Then, because we've definitely seen some mm. films that more represent the experience of Asian Americans, and not just like crazy rich Asians, right? <laughs> but like, I think that is a little bit more realistic, like real life. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really like um, list year everything everywhere all at once. I mean, I like it not, be, not because I feel like I want to make the same type of thing. I will never be able to recreate what the Daniels do. They're just genius. But <laughs> I, I like I like that film a lot because I, I feel it's it's just very real, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not it's not about you know um, you know praise anybody or 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 anything, or it's not about just uh, complaining but it's just real life mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. uh, you know parents and children's relationship a family relationship and and uh, and i like their approach to it what are some of your greatest influences or mentors like do you think there are any filmmakers or people in your industry that you really look up to or that you aspire to or that have, yeah, some kind of a role model for you? Um, I don't necessarily cling on to uh, specific filmmakers, um, but I like a diverse of different films. And the and a lot of films I like are not necessarily something I see myself makes something similar, but just I, I like to learn different things from different films. I like, I really like Jojo Rabbit from uh, Taika Waititi by Taika Waititi was just really brilliant um, and also like like I say everything everywhere all at once by the Daniels and um, I also like of course like Taiwanese directors like Ho Xiaoxian right and, and, and Edward 
at work, Chen, and and the one film that's very um, relevant and has good good amount of influence on my short film Removable is a film called Spot Spotlight. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's about Boston Globe uh, investigate um, the um, the child sex abuse by the you know Catholic priests, and I really like how how the director approach to this subject matter because it's very easily to be very exploitative but the film is it's just very natural as it doesn't have anything flashy is you know i like its lack of showiness it's just very right. honest or, and or real sensational. yeah yeah and it's just follow simply follow the journalist's perspective to investigate the case we don't see any actual abuse on screen at all but you you can still feel the the pain and hurt. So um, yeah, that I th- I feel that's something like I would continue to do. If you weren't a filmmaker, what do you think you would be doing? Ah, uh, this is a really hard question. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> I felt like bef- before pandemic, I would probably you know say, oh um, you know I want to be I want to be a writer. Or I want to be, a, a, I don't know, songwriter, you know, something that I used to love to do, but didn't get to make it into a career. I, w- I would say I wanted to try that and make that happen. But I feel like after pandemic, I just want to live in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Get back to nature. Or be a farmer or something. Yeah. You know, we could just dream a little bit. Do you have like a passion project or like what would be like a dream project of yours? I actually would like to make a film about my grandma's story. Um, I actually made my very first student uh, documentary short was about my grandma. And she, so at, at her, at her, era when she grew up um she 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 she, i think she was born in a very uh poor and rural village in taiwan um northern taiwan um and at the at the time i think you probably heard of that a lot of poor family would sell their daughters to semi-richer family um just because you know they don't have enough money to feed so many kids and those family who pay for girls to, you know, to stay with, to buy them and stay with them, uh, are aiming for these girls to um, grow, grow up and marry their son. So um, that's that. So my grandma was sold to, you know, like next village, some other families and grew up there. And she, in in my documentary short uh, I made in college, she was talking about, uh, how it was like, like she she was like really young, six year old, but she had to take care of the the, the, the oh, other wow. little ba- babies. Mm-hmm. She had to carry the babies doing houseworks, and wow. the the baby was heavy for her because she was just six years old. So she was telling her adopt mom, adoptive mom, saying, "As too heavy, I." She was eating. She couldn't even swallow a food because the, it's just pressing her chest so much. And the mom was just like, well, that's what we, how we grew up, too. You just, you know, take it. So that she had, she definitely had her hard, hard life. Um, 
and she somehow didn't end up married the the son in that family for some reason, which I wanted to investigate about. <laughs> but I just feel like that in at that era, um, there's so many hardships. But my grandma, um, she passed away already. But like uh, I remember, she was. She was a happy person. She didn't get to go to school. She didn't, she couldn't read. She couldn't write. But but generally, I feel like she's a very happy person. So um, you know, a lot of the time when things get hard, I would think, you know, if if people from that time, you know, they didn't get they didn't grow, they didn't get bitter. I shouldn't I shouldn't you know, nothing is too hard for me nowadays. Yeah, that's really interesting how there was different classes and how, uh, like you said, people would be sold into families and they would basically be like servants or Mm -hmm. whatever. Um, But yeah, it's my understanding that there's so many situations, it varies, right? So hopefully in the case of your grandmother that it was a happy reason that she wasn't didn't end up marrying the son meaning that she had the choice so hopefully mm-hmm. it was because she was given the choice and maybe she didn't want to get married to him so then she didn't i didn't get to like really know her know her uh, yeah. she passed away when i was in college mm-hmm. i felt like at the time i didn't i wasn't mature enough to you know come back with her sure. as an adult if you think about your career and what you're doing and you look forward what was it that you would like to be most remembered for oh (laughs) yeah it is a big question i mean i i i'm not worried about what people will remember me about i guess i just hope that i get to make a good film or two and you know and if people do remember me i just want people who having around me or work with me remember me being a, a a nice person to be around to work with what advice do you have for others who are thinking about becoming a filmmaker or going into this industry well one thing is fake it until you make it and this is for the asians who grew up in asia especially because i feel like we were taught to be modest growing up so you know, when I was in uh, when I was in college, uh, preparing to apply for grad school, I started to learn that oh, because I, I would initially thought I was just a student. I wouldn't call myself filmmaker, but American students are different. As long as they're doing that, they call themselves photographer. They call themselves dancer, even though they're still at school. They're not doing professional work yet, but you you got to you know have the mindset and believing you you believing in yourself and calling yourself the title that you aim for then then you can you know work work toward it and also i met this um chinese girl at a festival and people would she was she she's just a student too um but she was involved in a project that win a war so people would like chatting with her ask her so are you a filmmaker are you a director and she's just like i'm not a very good one you know that's a very like typical like mm. you know asian response. answer yeah like response like being modest and and being like no 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 i'm not good enough but no if you want to achieve something especially in america you got to be 
confident in yourself and no matter what just say yes i am yeah take ownership of it exactly yeah so that's that's one thing uh and the other thing is just um um you know if you want to do something just go just go do it don't don't wait for people to invite you to do it i, I wish i could start making films earlier and understand this earlier when i was younger and you know to start just do something but um also it's never too late to do anything so if you want to do it yes do it no matter how old you are or how late you think you're behind other people it doesn't really matter just do it and the first work you you do might not be good but you just you just keep doing it. You'll learn something every time. You learn something from every mistakes, and you'll get better eventually. I'm I'm still trying to get better too. So, you know, it's a it's a lifelong process. So, um, just hope people who can follow this film and see and recommend it to people if you think you like it. And we're gonna continue to show up in different festivals. In, in the next few months. So um, if you would like to see it, you definitely can catch it. Um, you can go on my IG to follow out, update all my um, film festivals trip and you can, you can definitely catch up. Great. So can you tell people how they can follow you? Like, do you have a website for your film or like you said, what's your handle on IG if they want to follow you there? Yeah. Just my IG uh, is, Shuing underscore Zhong. That's it. Okay. This is my All IG. Right. Um, we didn't create a website for it. I just feel like, I don't know. It's a lot of I work. People, and people, I don't feel like people really go to website these days. Like, yeah. I feel Instagram is the most direct way. So we'll share that on our website for this episode so people can Thank you. follow you and see what you're doing and learn more about your future projects, not just removable. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to be interviewed. Well, thank you for having me. It's been great. Thanks. I've been speaking with Xu Ying Chung, a filmmaker based in New York, about her short film, Removable. This episode of Talking Taiwan has been sponsored by NATOA, the North America Taiwanese Women's Association. NATOA was founded in 1988 to evoke a sense of self-esteem and enhance women's dignity, to oppose gender discrimination and promote gender equality, to fully develop women's potential and encourage their participation in public affairs, to contribute to the advancement of human rights and democratic development in Taiwan, to reach out and work with women's organizations worldwide to promote peace for all, to learn more about NATOA, visit their website, www.natwa.com. Now it's time for you to show us some love. We just found out that you can rate us on Spotify. Or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Audible, leave us a review there. It helps others to discover Talking Taiwan. To learn more about any of the items mentioned in this episode, visit our website, TalkingTaiwan.com. There will list any related links. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Lin. Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.